Hey there, welcome to the show. Here we are, another Sunday, you know, October. I don't know how everybody's feeling. You know, lots going on, obviously, in the world of real estate, and that's why you're tuned in to see if I've got anything decent to say. Well, I hope I do, but you know what? I do have some great guests that are going to be joining me this hour. I've got Dave Butler from BM Select. We're going to be talking about interest rates and some terminology. So if, you, if you're if you not sure about a, re, a renewal or a refinance, you want to stay tuned and listen to what Dave has to say about it. Uh, I also have Sam McDaddy joining me uh, a little bit later in the hour. It's going to be great to have Sam back. Sam has been a guest with me over the years and always a pleasure having a conversation with him about what's going on in the world of real estate, especially in the GTA. Sam has the number one team for the last 11 years, so going to be great to have Sam join me. And of course, this is normally when I start revving up my rant, but not quite yet. I do want to tell you about our simple real estate investment webinar. That's right, coming up Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. You can join me. I'm going to be live and um, I'm going to be talking about, uh, you know, some of the things that are important in, in investment real estate, things such as kind of financing, what you should be looking at, uh, best place to buy. You know, it's not necessarily the GTA. We will be talking about cash flow. We're going to be talking about who makes the best tenant, all sorts of this information and so, so much more. So uh, go to thesimpleinvestor.com to uh, to register. And again, that's coming up Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. And uh, we do have a question period at the end of it. And if you decide you want to have a chat with me personally, um, I do set up Zoom and phone meetings for everybody afterwards. So uh, we can, you know, talk about real estate. You know, it's one of my favorite topics, obviously, and investment real estate. So really exciting. Always looking forward to those. And uh, you can uh, also follow me at the Simple Investor One on Instagram. So what would I want to, you know, vent about this week? You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I have so many things <laughs> that I do want to talk about, but it continues to baffle me the way people keep interpreting the real estate market and why it is doing what it's doing. And I think really we should just turn around and say, we need to take a break from all the headlines because really it just seems like repetitive nonsense that most people are putting out there. And the one thing that nobody, nobody is coming up with is a solution for the inventory problem. And I know so many people are saying, yeah, Todd, the market's hot because of interest rates. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, market's hot because of, you know, this buyer or that group. No, I won't give you that one. And then when we t- we'll talk about foreign buyers, I'm not going to give you that one either. Here's the thing. We have an inventory problem. If you've been listening to me for the last, you know, 15 or 16 years, I was talking about it years ago when uh, I used to have my TV show. And then, you know, here on Simply Real Estate, basically for the last nine years, we have an inventory problem. I have been talking about this for years and years and years and years. And I don't know why we've got so many issues with getting it through the head of the government, whoever that is. So if we talk about municipalities or provincial, it's not the federal guys. They just, just keep your keep your nose out of it. Just throw more money at the provinces, okay? Or the municipalities. Just, just keep your nose out of real estate, okay? They should not be involved. They should not even talk about it because there isn't one of them that has ever spoken truth about the numbers that they're going to be able to deliver. So forget about the campaign BS, because you know what? You're elected. You know what? Do something about it. Throw the money at the necessary people to do the change. So, 
you know, I was on with Jerry Agar a fair bit in the last little while. Always love being on Jerry's show. But, you know, he gets a lot of people that will turn around and comment when we're talking about real estate. And it's always, you know, oh, it's always the greedy realtors. It's the greedy this, it's greedy that, greedy developers. Hey, look at, you know what? When people own properties and then they own it for numerous years and then they decide to sell it, they want a good price. It's not greed. It's what they're entitled to. If you build a building and you're able to find enough buyers, it's not being greedy. It's because people want the actual asset. So again, we have an inventory problem. How are we going to solve it? You know what? I have no idea, but I do know that we've got enough real estate out there that we could start doing things with it. You know, I, I had suggested this to John Tory a year and a half ago. We got taken to task on it, but he did take it to council. Apparently it was a pretty darn good idea. I mentioned it the other week with Jerry Agar. You know what? We need to turn around and start chopping up some of the existing real estate that we have. Turn them into legal dwellings, meaning that basement apartment, you know what? Make it a single entity that you could buy the basement apartment. Forget about renting it, okay? Yes, I know we need tenants, but people also want to have affordable ownership or ownership that's affordable, okay? The two are not the same. So let's look and focus on ownership that's affordable. There's a lot more that we can talk about and address and turn around and get this thing to move forward. But you know what? Everybody's got to will, be willing to do it. And here's my problem. Nobody wants it in their own backyard. Okay, we'll complain about it until the day we die then. Because unless we actually realize that all of us have to participate on solving this inventory problem, it's only going to get worse. And guess what? There's a lot of people knocking on the doorstep of this country and there's going to be a lot more coming in. So if you think it's bad now, a couple of years from now, everybody's going to be shocked where the inventory issue is going to be. Anyways, that's my quick rant for today, because guess what? Joining me now, no stranger to the show, Dave Butler from BM Select. Dave, uh, welcome back to the show. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you this week. Uh, how is everything? Thank you very much. Uh, everything's very good. Uh, honest to God, it's crazy busy still. Uh, we thought we would, we thought my staff and I thought we might get a little bit of a break coming out of the, uh, coming out of the summer after the kids go back to school. And, um, you know, in terms of an activity level, it seemed to, you know, there was about a week or two there where it looked like, Oh, okay, maybe we're going to get this seasonality, but, um, you know, I, right now as of, you know, uh, beginning and middle of October, it's starting to look really crazy again. So, um, seems like there was this little cooling off and then the activity is just rampant again. So, yeah. So let's talk about, uh, you know, well, we've got a lot to talk about today. And in fact, uh, I do want to talk about, you know, the suggestion that interest rates could be looking at a little bit of an uptick again. They keep talking about the second quarter, 2022, and that's providing, I think, if everything stays on track right now with the you know COVID situation and we don't see any major lockdowns or shutdowns in any part of the economy. So what's your take on it? Well, it's an interesting situation. I mean, we are sitting with rates that are basically on the bottom. So when we look at the idea that rates could go up at some point next year, um, I would say I wouldn't be shocked to see maybe a 0.25 increase in the prime rate. Um, and, but again, we're talking about that. That's directly correlated to the variable. The battle will be with the bond market, and that leads to obviously the fixed rates. So we'll, it'll be very interesting to see. You know, obviously, the, the big talk is inflation. Uh, when there is you know, considered higher inflation, that means the Bank of Canada and monetary policy is more of a upward push on the rates. But right now, I wouldn't be shocked if 
we get out of COVID, there's not a big, say, fifth wave. Um, and by some point next year, maybe Q2, Q3. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Again, it's what, I, what, I, what we always have to notice is that the drastic drop when COVID kind of hit in early 2020 was really on the variable because the Bank of Canada lowered the, the, the uh, prime rate extremely fast and in big chunks. The fixed rates are battled in the bonds and that's where they followed. But again, the variable became the big predominant player. So it'll be interesting to see how this all shapes out. Yeah, you know, when when we take a look at interest rates, you know, you and I have talked about it. Um, when we start seeing the upward pressure right around that 2018-19 part of the market, and everybody started freaking out when we saw 3%. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because when when we first got into, you know, the business, you know, for me, for me a little bit later, you know, longer than you, but way back, you know, that 9 and 10% interest rate was really common. And now, you know, if, if somebody can't get a mortgage sub 2%, they feel like they're overpaying. And you know, my concern is, is that there, and of course, interest rates will have to inch up. It's just the way it's going to be. But we've kind of been spoiled for so long now that people's just, you know, they've been reeducated saying, well, if it's not, you know, lower than 2%, it's not a very good rate. I mean, you face that on a regular basis as a broker. How do you overcome that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, for us, it's, it's, we really like to look back at the data. Um, You know, when I have a client that, you know, is worried about a 0.25 increase, um, well, I'll just show them the last five, six, seven years. Um, you know, we, you and I know, Todd, that uh, to some point in 2018, uh, the five-year fixed rate was selling for like 3.89, 3.99. Um, and many people were taking them and that was still considered a good rate. I think what's happened is we've been shocked with these low rates. Everyone wants a one in front of their rate, which they're entitled to have at this moment because that's available. But, you know, it'll be a, a, a very basic conditioning, in my opinion, um, in the twos is still just fantastic i mean you know i as uh, not as long as you but i'm still spanning the two decades and i still remember 599 699s um and i remember when getting under 3.99 was considered an absolutely amazing interest rate so um at the end of the day we we will see some form of overpressure but i really do believe it's going to be a slow punch um i think interest rates in canada are going to stay low for quite some time. I think most Canadians will be able to achieve interest rates in the twos and really get themselves some principal pay down. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a positive way of looking at it. And, and again, anything I think sub 3% allows people to you know be able to maintain, as you mentioned, pay down uh, stability. And if we start looking at you know the longer terms, then you know I think it's going to be a real positive thing. Listen, Dave, I want you to hang on for a minute. We're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, folks, we've got more with Dave Butler from PM Select. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, Dave Butler from BM Select is joining me. And Dave, just before the break, we were talking about interest rates and, you know, kind of your crystal ball, you know, we're able to whip it out and say, look, at if it, if we stay in the twos, I think we're looking at some pretty attractive stuff still. Um, a lot of people are coming up for renewal. And, you know, I think maybe coming from you, uh, you know, we can kind of put some people's minds at ease on, you know, certain terminology here, because there's a lot of people that struggle with understanding when we talk about things such as renewal and refinance. So do you want to give our listeners a little bit of clarity there? 
Absolutely. This is actually, uh, the terminology gets mixed up quite a bit. Um, and a lot of times clients will say to me, Hey, I'm looking to do this when they don't, they're actually not looking to do that. They're just looking to renew and do a better rate. So I can really help you out. The terminology is pretty simple. A renewal and a refinance are two completely different things on a renewal. That's when your mortgage term has come up for renewal. You've hit your date. You know, you signed a five-year term. You're now five years in the bank that you're currently with will offer you rates. This is to just keep your mortgage the same. So your mortgage balance, your amortization, it all stays the same. You're just going back and forth with the lender on deciding which interest rate to take. At the time, you can use a broker, you can shop your mortgage renewal to other banks, and you can use a switch program. Uh, there's, so there's the, the terminology is quite different. With a refinance, that's when you're actually changing the mortgage balance or you're changing the amortization. This is different because you have to re-qualify on a refinance. When you're just renewing with your existing bank, you do not need to re-qualify. And a lot of Canadians who are currently in a situation where they may not have the same employment that they did previously when they signed their mortgage, maybe it's not the same because of COVID, they do not have to worry because your mortgage lender, as long as you've been making your mortgage payments and you're in good standing, they will always offer you a renewal rate for the next term. As long as you're not refinancing, you do not need to requalify. And that's really the biggest difference. A lot of clients will say to me, hey, Dave, you know, my position is not the same. I don't think I can qualify. We would obviously look, but if they don't, we'll recommend that they stay with their current lender on a re renewal because now they don't have to get requalified. They don't have to submit their job letters, their pay stubs, all that fun stuff. Refinance, you do have to requalify. So you will have to go through that old application process for providing all your income documentation and everything else, and your credit score will be pulled. And at that point, if you do get an approval, that is now a refinance. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because we also have to talk about the stress test. So a lot of the mortgages that would be coming up for renewal right now, if they were five years, this was before the stress test. So if you decided to stick with your, your, your existing lender, you don't have to be subjected to the stress test. But for people that turn around and let's say they want to switch lenders, um, even if they're, you know, just replacing with it with a lender, they now are subjected to the stress test, correct? That is correct. So if you are on a renewal now looking to move to a different lender, because maybe a different lender has a more attractive rate, you actually still have to requalify just like a refinance. So you'll have to go through that stress test, provide all your documentation. The staying with your existing lender on a renewal is the only way to completely avoid a new application. You will simply be sent some documents in terms of your interest rate. You will pick which one you want. You will send it back. And that is it. No credit check. No nothing. Okay. So here's the other, the other point I'd like to make also is that people have to understand that if we're going for a refinance, that normally will trigger the, the necessity for a new appraisal, which a lot of times the lenders will pass on to the client. So you also, at the same time, will have to get your lawyer engaged again, because now we've got a different charge registered to title, correct? That is correct. Renewals are seemingly the most simplest. As long as you're not having to make a change, you simply sign the document, sign your rate, and you are done. On a refinance, as you mentioned, Todd, you're opening up the entire process. You're going to be filing an application. You're going to get an appraisal done on your home. We are going to go through the entire thing almost as if you're purchasing it. And that's always been a big thing that clients sometimes get you know uh, mistaken is the differences between the two.
So, Dave, what about when people want to put on a home line of credit? So, in other words, you know what, they, they'll renew the mortgage, so they're not moving it, but, you know, hopefully they've had some nice capital appreciation and, of course, some mortgage pay down. So, they're sitting on some equity. Is it better for the people to turn around and throw a home line of credit to relieve some of that equity? That is something that most of our clients are doing and using as a strategy. Um, obviously, most of our clients are real estate investors looking to purchase more, looking to work within this market. So it's great to have them get access to their equity. Now, the one thing that a lot of brokers or banks may try to do is get you to pay a penalty to refinance in a situation like that. That's actually not the case. If I have a mortgage, let's say with a Canadian bank right now, and I don't want to change my mortgage. I just simply want to get a home equity line of credit on top of my mortgage so that I have access to this equity. You can simply just apply through your broker. He will then go, he or she, sorry, will go right to that bank that you're currently with, apply for a home equity line of credit, and you don't actually then have to touch the mortgage. So the mortgage stays in place, no penalty, no nothing, and you are simply getting a home equity line of credit attached to the mortgage on top. So you now have access to those funds. Right. So if we're um, if we're sitting and, and taking a look at uh, a home line of credit, when they do it, how do they calculate the interest? So, you know, if somebody's got a mortgage, we obviously know that that is based on, you know, certain amortization, you're paying interest and some principal. But in home line of credit, you just uh, in most cases only have to pay interest, correct? So one of the beautiful things about a home equity line of credit is it's treated in terms of the schematics of it very much like a regular line of credit. We all know if we have a, let's say, unsecured line of credit every month, we have a balance just like a credit card and we have to make an interest payment on it. So with a home equity line of credit, it's extremely similar. Whatever your balance is at that time, every month, they will send you your statement you will have a minimum interest payment. So you only pay the interest. If you'd like to pay off more of it, you can, because again, it's treated like a normal line of credit. You could put extra money towards it, whatever you want, but the minimum is interest, the interest payment. We call it interest only in the business. It's an interest only payment. And it's based on currently the prime rate plus whatever the uh, accredited uh, extra in terms, of the, in terms of the variable is. Sometimes you're getting prime plus a half. Sometimes you may be getting prime. That interest rate based on your balance provides an interest payment. That's all it is. It's a minimal payment. And a lot of investors and clients like that because it allows them the freedom to pay the line of credit balance down at the any time they want without being forced to make big monthly payments towards it. Yeah, and I'm glad that you, you did break it down the way you did because, you know, it's important because a lot of people think sometimes, you know, oh, I'll just put a second mortgage on. But the problem is, is that you're paying, you know, for the entire amount, even if you're not utilizing it. So I think that's a really good determination that you've made for our listeners, because it's important that people understand, you know, what you can do with the equity of your property. And of course, folks, if you don't know this, you actually, when you refinance, let's say an investment property and take that equity out, it's not taxable. So in other words, you're able to take it out and now you can put it towards, let's say another investment property or improvements to the property, things like that. So you actually are able to benefit from the equity in the property and still work with, you know, um, you know, keeping your, your, your cost down and, and you keep moving the equity up. So Dave, some great information today. I always appreciate you coming on the show. Um, listen, it, best way for our listeners to reach you. They could give us a shout at one 684 8326 You can also contact us, contact us sorry, by email 
We're at info at bmselect.ca. Always love working with you guys. And thank you very much for the, uh, for having the time to put me on there, Todd. Yeah, you know, Dave, like I said, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to continue to bring you on, keep you, you know, updating us. If we're if we're going to look at the the finishing of the year um, right now, you're pretty you're pretty happy with the market. You think it's going to remain solid? It really looks like it's going into the winter season with with quite some traction. Um, I would be quite surprised to see any any type of major movements. I think we'll see a likely kind of sideways action with regards to price uh, as we have kind of the fear out there. And I would say it very loosely of interest rates rising. So I think you're going to get a pretty stable market still. It's going to be interesting to see what the Bank of Canada and the government uh, put out there for the beginning of 2022 with regards to interest rates. I think that will really be the big kickoff as to where the direction is going for 2022. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Dave. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Folks, that was Dave Butler from BM Select. And when I come back, I've got Sam McDaddy joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest, he's no stranger to the show. In fact, you know what? I look forward to having him on as much as possible. I haven't spoken to him in a little while. Um, he is Sam McDaddy. And for those of you I would, I would say, I pretty much want to say the world knows who Sam McDaddy is because he has been the number one real estate agent in the GTA for the last 11 years. He's, uh, he's also what I consider probably the most professional realtor in the industry. Sam, welcome back to the show. Hey, Todd. It's great to be back. It's been a while, but it's uh, good to be back for sure. Yeah, you know, Sam. Um, you know, every time you and I start chatting, I, I, I think we need a couple hours because we always get caught up, but what's going on in the world of real estate and you know you and your team obviously you know keep setting records you're doing incredibly well this year and last uh even through all the adjustments and i know you and i did talk about obviously the adjustments when covid originally hit but you know here we are we're sitting in 2021 and market seems to be doing exceptionally well still even though maybe our cycle has returned so bring us up to speed on what's happened this year in the real estate world well, let's start from the beginning of the year. I think the first three, three and a half months were unbelievable. And I remember 2017, before they introduced a 15% non-resident tax, it was madness. And this first three and a half months of this year exceeded, far exceeded that. The multiple offers, the amount people are paying over asking price, it was just pure insanity. It's, it's simmered a little bit now, but it's still a very strong market and the supply quotient still low. So, I believe it's still a seller's market, especially under $2 million, which is kind of interesting, Todd, because we go back a long way. When we, If we have set $2 million 10 or 15 years ago as kind of a midpoint number, we would have thought that was kind of madness, but that's where we are today. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a fluid market throughout. Yeah, I'm glad you picked on that price point because, you know, the average GTA house price is up, which... You know, it does skew a little thing, a few things, because when we see the big prices, you know, um, I, I do want to talk about the market above two million, but you know, those are the ones that can bring up the bottom. And so, Sam, when when COVID hit, you know, everybody kept saying, well, the average pr uh, price of a house has dropped. But what ended up happening, and I know you experienced it, we we talked about it, was the people that had the houses, let's say, north of one point five million, they just decided to stay put. It wasn't like the market itself dropped, but we always make that mis misperception when we turn around, we start averaging things because it's like, you know, you have five houses sell at 2 million, you have, you know, a bunch at a million and a few condos, all of a sudden the average obviously gets skewed. So 
in in the case of let's say the higher end stuff, that market seems to be fairly strong as well, north of two million. Yeah, this is very interesting because a lot, and I agree full heartedly. You have to be careful how you dissect numbers. And average is just that. If you have a disproportionate number of higher homes selling, then your average sale price goes up for year over year or whatever time period you're, you're comparing. But um, in this instance, I agree the the luxury market, high end markets perform very well. And you know, if we list a house in the old days for let's say four or five million, showings would be sparse, and you know, you would expect to take a long time for that kind of property to sell at that price point. That's not the case that you're seeing, you know, a lot of showings and sometimes within days. So even four or five, six million dollars, I think that price point still received favorably. And there's buyers who are engaging at that price point. And I think also largely to do the fact that they've got an asset that's appreciated as well. So they're going to parlay that into the next opportunity. So, yeah, I, I think all sectors, all price points have moved pretty fluidly this year. Right. Now, I do know that your team also works a lot in uh, condominiums. Uh, you've also done a lot of the newer releases. Uh, when we talk about new construction, you know, we've we've seen obviously prices go north of $1,000 a square foot, and it doesn't seem like there's any let up there. What do you anticipate the future of the newer condominium market? You know, it seems like there's still a huge, huge um, appetite for it in the marketplace. Yeah, and it is surprising because if you said once again, Todd, a few years ago that, you know, Mississauga North would be selling for $1,100 a square foot brand new and there'd be a lineup and you couldn't get the product, I would have said that's craziness. I mean, that's Toronto type pricing, but that's in fact what's happened. And, you know, we've represented a few developers, builders, um, and it's just, it's it's sheer madness how quick these units get sold. It's And then they're raising prices within a couple of weeks. So, and I, I and I agree, I don't think there's a letdown. I, I mean, before I was concerned about the supply demand and there's just too much product maybe entering the market, but it's getting absorbed rapidly. And, you know, Todd, the key part is we still haven't had the foreign money come in yet. I mean, last couple of years, we've been void of that and our market's still very bullish. So you've got to wonder when we start opening up the gates again to folks coming in from abroad in half the land of the GTA, what that's going to do to the demand and supply, it's going to tilt it even more. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, right now the Liberal government had suggested that they want to limit foreign buyers. Now, the people you're referring to, I believe, are the new immigrants and, you know, our expectation, you know, the government's saying uh, that we're going to bring in 400,000 in 2021. Of course, I don't think that's going to happen due to, you know, a lot of the situation right now with COVID, but they did say they'll let it compound. So next year, potentially, they could allow, if if everything's opened up, they could allow 800,000 new people people into Canada. And as you and I both know, Ontario is a huge draw for that. So, you know, even if we look at half, you know, 400,000 new occupants coming in, it's a staggering number. But more importantly, you know, if we're if we're taking a look at limiting foreign buyers, we've got all these other people that are going to immigrate in. Where are we going to get the housing? And this is this is a concern. I've been talking about it on the show now for for a few weeks. You know, we've got such a shortage, and I just don't think they can build them fast enough. So, what are we going to do? Honestly, Todd, it's very problematic, and I think that's a question that's difficult to answer. I, I you know, I'm not convinced we've got the best policies in place to address these issues. But um, yeah, it, it's a problem that's not going away, and I think they they. You know, I don't know if there's an easy fix, Todd. So, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, when we talk about um, new immigrants coming in, uh, when we look at the number, we have to turn around and start considering the rental market. 
and how important it's going to be. Are you finding the rental market also the price push right now? You know, we did we did suffer a little going through the beginning of COVID back in 2020. We watched the rental market, you know, soften definitely, especially in the downtown core of Toronto. But now you'll hear things in certain locations, multiple offers and rental. Are you experiencing that right now? Uh, we, we are. So we have seen the rental market pick up. And I agree last year, and particularly in Toronto, not so much suburbia world, 905, but um, the, the rental market was really weak and prices came off considerably, which was understandable. If people, the, the core reason they want to live in the city is to be able to experience the city and that was shut down. Then, you know, there wasn't going to be an appetite for that. But that's changed over the last year considerably. So you, you'll see the Toronto rental markets much stronger that the you know bordering areas Mississauga and all the 905 area uh, there are you know there's a scarcity so once again it comes down to supply and demand there's a scarcity again in terms of rental products so you're seeing a push on pricing based on that right and now Sam I, I haven't really talked to you much about interest rates yet and um, I do want to know do you feel that the first-time home buyer market is being driven more by the interest rates or is it being driven for just sheer demand and lack of inventory I, I think a bit of both I believe inventory is very low but I also feel these low rates are acting as a catalyst for people to enter the market and have payments that aren't too much different than rent but um, you also have to be guarded because Todd we know that you know two percent five-year money or wherever is hovering under or over is not his normal so at some point um, you know, a, a normal rate would be four or five percent. In fact, I've seen, you know, we've seen double digits, right? So these rates are conservatively low. And my concern is, you know, what happens if rates do go up and people are just getting in and their your payments are already difficult to make. So there's, I mean, the market has, has performed really well, but I think there's some areas that we have to be concerned about. And I think the government it knows they can ill afford to raise rates too much. Otherwise, you're going to see a bit of a run in the market. A quarter percent, half a percent is not going to change the game too much. But if it becomes materially different, I think you'll see a change in terms of the landscape of real estate. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Folks, if you're just tuning in right now, I've got Sam McDaddy joining me. And uh, Sam has been a frequent guest here over the years with me. And uh, again, somebody that I've, I, I've known for a very long time uh, in the world of real estate and a real pleasure having him join me. And um, Sam, we're going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, I do want to talk more. I want to you know, get your take on the election results, uh, what we should be looking at you know, in the future, and uh, all sorts of other things that obviously are very important in the real estate world. So folks, when we come back, I've got more with Sam McDaddy. And remember, you can follow me on Instagram, The Simple Investor One. I'll keep you up to date on what is going on each week in the world of real estate. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Sam McDaddy. Uh, and Sam and his team, number one realtors in the GTA for the last 11 years. Uh, Sam and I go way back. In fact, we did, we've done a lot of real estate work together over the years. And Sam, just before the break, you and I were talking about, you know, interest rates and, you know, what they're doing to the marketplace. And of course, people have to be mindful that interest rates can go up. I do believe, though, that the stress test has helped you know, I guess with the risk aspect of things, you know, in the very beginning when it came out, you know, I was very, uh, very concerned about it. But I think go going through COVID, I think it actually, it's probably helping a lot of people understand what debt looks like. 
I understood it when you applied it for a Valorate mortgage product, and I think it made sense. Um, you know, I still have, you know, struggles with somebody taking a longer term position and having to qualify for a plus two or whatever that looks like. So, but I mean, I do think that hopefully he builds some safeguards for the market integrity and pricing, but um, it also makes it difficult to get into the game because the, the income requirements based on the increasing purchase prices makes it a little bit more challenging for even first time buyers to enter the game. They, you know, so I think there's, you know, you're trying to find the right balance to maintain the price integrity, but also making sure people can enjoy home ownership as well. Yeah. And, and look, you've always been uh, one, of, one of those people that it, it does have a diverse, um, you know, clientele, you know, right from very first time home buyers to people that are working in the higher end. Um, if, if we focus on one thing in the future, let's say for the next 12 to 18 months, what do you think the biggest part of the market's going to be? Are we looking at the first time home buyers continuing to drive the market or do we see more of the move up buyers coming into play? Yeah, listen, I think both are important elements. I think the first time buyer market's important to keep the whole market segment moving. So if they're in the game, then it allows the next person to keep moving forward and parlaying their equity to other opportunities. So I think both those segments of the market are, are critically important to continue to see real estate growth. And I think, you know, first time buyers are anxious and eager to get in the game. And, you know, we're having to consult and counsel them on a daily basis and give them good counsel. But I think, you know, the homeownership dream is really important. And if you're in the game, as the market continues to appreciate, which I think we all believe it will, then at least you're parlaying your equity in a few years to another opportunity. But if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're, I think you're going to have a tough time getting in. And without maybe parents' assistance, I think the, the younger generation today, unless they're the top 5% income earners are going to find it difficult to buy a home and it's going to become like a London, England scenario where you're just a renter. We, do, we don't want to see that. Ideally, you want to see people build equity through real estate. Yeah. Well, in, in 2018, you and I actually talked about foreign buyers and when they implemented the foreign buyer tax, you know, it, it has started to revolve around where a lot of people are thinking that the foreign buyers are driving the market. You know, we hear money laundering, we hear foreign buyers. You know, you are on the ground with your team all the time. You know, you've seen foreign buyers come in. I would say, or hazard a guess to say that, quite frankly, I don't think foreign buyers are driving this market. I just, I truly believe it's an inventory slash interest rate driven market. Um, have you seen still solid foreign buyers coming into the marketplace? Yeah, and Todd, you're right. We talked about that a few years ago, and we can't, we shared the same sentiment. That was really a bit of a misnomer that there wasn't, that wasn't really the driver. It was surely supply and demand, right? And 17 was that. I mean, if there was enough product in the marketplace in 17, we wouldn't have seen the crazy run of the market. And similarly to this year, that's what we saw. There's just low inventory, uh, low rates. And, and of course, I mean, we're not even aided by foreign money this go around because the people aren't able to travel. So that was, you know, a case to case kind of concluded that it really wasn't as big of a piece as it was led to be. And, and I fully agree with that as well. Yeah. And that remains to be the, the same today. You know, it's interesting because the market, we see so many uh, like little headlines saying the market's going to crash. We're 20% looking at a 20% adjustment. CMHC comes out with some reports and, you know, they did call last year. They thought we were going to see a 9 to 18% price reduction. Of course, you and I both know that wasn't even close. It went the exact opposite direction. And I think we saw 20% increases in a lot of marketplaces, you know, so I, I'm concerned about these reports because I, I think it's a little bit of fear mongering. And now, you know, as we start to see a little bit more, what I would call stability into the marketplace, which means, you know, there are, there are properties staying on the market, you know, more than a day, but when they keep, they keep pushing the envelope saying that we're overheated, 
you know, we're looking at a 20% reduction again. And again, when we see these reports, you know, it's concerning because I just think they're sending the wrong message. Can you actually see that much of an adjustment based on our current inventory situation? No, I don't see it at all. I mean, and listen, I think Todd, you'll probably agree. I've been buying real estate this year comfortably, even though the market's strong. And of course, you want to pick and choose the right product to buy for investment purposes. But I don't see any adjustments anytime soon. I can, I believe the market will continue to flourish. And we've heard that, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, all, you know, you get 10 economists who are, you know, pieing and charting and graphing where the market's going to go, but they're not in the trenches. And we know what's happening firsthand. And I can tell you, I don't see corrections, price adjustments. 20%, I think, is not remotely possible. Right. Well, you know, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you on the show as usual. And for our listeners' sake, uh, what's the best way to reach you and your team? You can reach me via email, sam at mcdaddy.com, or you can call me directly at 416-801-2400. Excellent. Well, listen, Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you, Todd. It's been great as always being with you, and you do, you're doing a great job. Keep up the great work. You're an inspiration to many of us, and uh, we're proud of everything you're doing. And it's always great to have Sam join me. You know, um, a real pleasure to talk to him. And I, I'll tell you, his team, boy, are they ever busy. Lots going on. So, you know, if you're uh, if you're thinking of buying or selling, you know, one of the things I think you have to do, and, and I've always told people this, and, you know, I'd like to be able to endorse all of the major realtors that have joined me on the show, but I think everybody would agree. It's always good if you're thinking of selling your property to interview several agents, okay? You got to find out which one gels with you. And again, Sam and his team are, are great, you know, very, very strong producers. There's other realtors out there, you'll see their names, you'll see everything else. So I always encourage people, if you're going to list your property or if you're gonna have a buyer representation, interview a few people. Cause you know what? You just might click with somebody you didn't expect. And again, with the biggest transaction you're going to have in your life, I think that it's important that you get the right representation. And of course, you will always hear me say this on the show. Uh, it's one of those things that I believe in is that always use a full-time professional realtor. You know, I know lots of people do it part-time. And again, I'm not going to try to cut their grass, but reality states, if you're not doing this every single day, then what are you doing? And so I believe in the professionalism of the industry. And I think we should always, always support the people that are doing it every single day. So that's my, that's my take on, you know, dealing with realtors. And of course, Sam is exceptional at it. Uh, same with his team. Um, I want to thank uh, Dave Butler for joining me um, whenever he does. It's always a pleasure having Dave on the show. And you know what? He is one of those guys that is just a fountain of knowledge when it comes down to mortgages. And he's there, he's breathing it, he's watching it all the time. So it's important, again, when we start talking about mortgages, you got to use a pro. You know, it's as simple as that. You, you got to use a pro. Somebody that understands the market, knows how to position your, your files, making sure it's done correctly. So I think, again, once again, it's important that we use the pros in the industry. The same thing goes for, you know, lawyers, uh, inspectors, everything. When we talk about real estate, you know, don't leave things to chance. And, you know, that's one of the things I think I want to encourage people always. Make sure you use the people that specialize or are the best in this particular avenue. So um, don't forget, coming up on Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m., I do have my simple real estate investment webinar. I don't think you want to miss this one. You know, I am going to talk about what's going to happen in 2022. You know, is 
is the market going to collapse in the investment world? We talk so much about residential, you know, people's houses, you know, detached. We talk about condos here, but there's a completely different side when we talk about investment real estate and the need for it. I mean, it was the one of the number one campaign, uh, you know, programs out there when people are talking about the need for rental properties, you know, they want to downplay some of the big landlords up there, out there, you know, you've heard me rant about, hey, banks, you know, get off your butts, allow people to invest in real estate, stop being so difficult. You know, I'm always going to talk like that because it's the truth. I want people to have the ability to be able to turn around, invest, you know, it's great for your generational wealth. And I think it's very important. So those are the kind of things that, you know what, you're going to always hear from me here at Simply Real Estate every single week. And of course, because we do it every single week, I do want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. He does keep it simple for me. You know, I couldn't do it without him. And I also couldn't do it if you weren't tuning in. And I do want to thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show. Uh, I, you know, I have a lot of fun doing it and I'm going to continue on. I don't know, probably indefinitely. We'll see unless you don't want to hear from me anymore. But if you do, don't forget to tune in to me next Sunday at noon because I'll be back. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.